So for champions, in this chapter, it begins, of course, with everyone's quite dumbfounded, or they couldn't put their fingers on it. Should should they be happy? Should or should they be? What should they react? I think in the movies, we just. We can use one word to sum it up. Everyone's surprised, right? They just like, oh, how did that happen? But they don't have a multi-layered reaction to something really unexpected like this. But in a book, we're reading a book. There's bound to be more layer to, like I said, like what kind of people would react to it in what kind of way. As we've known so much about each character, we have stayed with each character long enough to have a little bit idea of their personality, so we can see how they react from their perspectives. First, we get Harry's. Harry just sat there, felt numb. He was surely dreaming. He had not heard correctly. He was taking denial. And in the audience, everyone else was like, "There is no, there is no applause." First of all, no one is congratulating him, even though it's such a great thing. But a buzzing, as though of angry bees, angry bees, was starting to fill the hole. So people are actually reacting to it in an angry way, at least as a first reaction. And then we can see some students were standing up to get a better look at Harry. They must be like, "Who is Harry?" Like, what is he like? At the teacher's table, we can see Professor McGonagall just instantly got up and swept past Ludo Backman and Professor Kukov to whisper urgently to Dumbledore. The camera panned back to Harry, Ron, Hermione. Harry just said blankly, "I didn't put my name in. I, you know, I didn't." Both of them stared just as blankly back. I guess they also don't know how to react to it. It will be a minute before the senses come back to their brain. At the top table again, Professor Dumbledore just straightened up, nodding to Professor McGonagall. I guess they had a little exchange of opinion, and Professor Dumbledore just said, "Harry Potter, Harry." Up here, if you please," Hermione whispered. Actually, even though she is not sure what she felt, but she just gave Harry a slight push. Like, go on, like do as the teachers say. And as Harry move along the teachers' table, we get a re reaction from Hagrid. You can see Hagrid didn't even wink, not giving any of his usual sign of greeting. That would be serious. Even Hagrid,、uh, he looked completely astonished and stared at Harry as he passed, like everyone else. Then in the room, Victor Crumb, Cedric Diggory, and Fleur de Lucu were grouped. They they already start bonding <laughs> around the fire. Yeah, there was a handsome fire roaring in the fireplace opposite him. I guess they don't know what happened because when Harry walked in, Fleur just asked, "Like, what is it? Do they want us back in the hall?" She had thought he Harry had just come to deliver a message. Harry didn't know how to explain what had just happened. He just stood there looking at the three of them, like three champions. And what does that make him? And it strikes him how very tall all of them were. I think I can't understand that feeling. First of all, I must say the the age thing. In the very beginning, when Dumbledore announced that there will be a age limit, I've already felt that's so stupid. Like it's a wizarding world, it's a magical world. What does age have to do with magic? Like you can be seven years old and you can compete with twenty years old or even older. Like if you have magic, it doesn't matter how old you are. Like it doesn't magic doesn't come with the emotional baggage, which usually comes with your age. Like as you grow older, you are more emotionally mature and、uh, capable of dealing with different sort of things. But I just feel like all these tasks. It has not nothing to do with that. It just have everything to do with magic. But this time around, when you read this part, you just feel oh, you understand why J.K. Rowling put in plots like this because Harry all of a sudden realized that he needs to grow up 
fast, faster. <laughs> he needs to be like the other three champions. It's like everything Harry thinks or does after learning that he's the fourth one. He's the children in the among these champions groups make him seem so different and so small and so incompetent. Just in his immaturity and youth, he. He just kind of recognized that the others are so tall, and they are all young adults. They are not children, not like the usual friends he's got. Not like the other ones are bad. It's just these ones are seem seem so big. I I also remember when I was younger, you can look at the、uh, seniors in your school. Like everything they does are are just so so confident and so capable. You just seeing them as this. Role model, you kind of feel like, oh, they must know、oh, what's going on. You kind of like if they doing this with their bags or their homeworks or whatever they do, and you you kind of want to mimic them and you want to look as sophisticated as them. So I think this just suggests that going forward, Harry's goal will be to look just as mature and competent as all these competitors. But I must say, it's not necessarily a good thing to be a Like kid genius, because you are young, like you are emotionally incompetent with dealing with some of those matters. It's okay to take the time to grow, you know. But of course, this is a fiction work, and you have to deal with the things pretty early on, as we know what's where the story is heading. But I just feel like I see J.K. Rowling was doing this. She was kind of push Harry to learn, to learn from all sorts of pressure, and to want to act just like them. When I say it's not necessarily a good thing, is sometimes children can be they can put on emotional baggage that, that will even drag them down at some points. Like they don't act their age in that way, though they as well just grow at their normal speed. You know, just they don't have to rush. To do that, but of course, Harry's case is different. Behind them, there was a sound of scurrying feet. So everyone is kind of rushing in. First, we see Ludo Bagman said, "Extraordinary!" <laughs> Squeezing Harry's arms, absolutely extraordinary, gentlemen, lady. May I introduce? Incredible though it may seem, the fourth Triwizard Champion. Next, we see Victor Crumb straighten up as he surveyed Harry, just like checking him up. And Cedric looked nonplussed. He looked from Bagman to Harry and back again, as though sure he must have misheard what Bagman had just said. Fleer, however, toast <laughs> toast her hair, smiling, and said, "Oh, very funny joke, Mister Bagman. Why does every woman need to toast their hair?" <laughs> As Bagman was saying, there is no joke, and Crumb's thick eyebrow contracted. Cedric still looking politely bewildered, and Flair frowned. Let's move on to see other people's reactions, and we later we see Professor Dumbledore, Mr. Crouch, Professor Kukov, Madame Maxine, Professor McGonagall, and Professor Snape. They all one by one walked in. First, we see Madame Maxine. I can see she is such a figure, important figure among the students, because Fleur just immediately go to her and to say, "Well, they tell me this little boy is competing," and Harry's like, "Little boy." <laughs> Madame Maxine was like, "What is this meaning? What is this?" Dumbledore, <laughs> Dumbledore.、Uh. Everything about these Bobatons、uh, are shouting their French style. I、like、just they 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 can't look at Hogwarts. Goes,、oh, what is this place? So she was just like, this is not fair. You can't have two champions from Hogwarts. I think the first thing she does was doubting Dumbledore. It's like, are you sure you do that age line properly? Otherwise, we would of course brought along a wider selection of candidates from my own schools. It's like I would brought some younger ones if I knew this. Oh, sorry, correction. This was said by Professor.、Kuk Cough! You are such a liar. I mean, 
everyone knows Victor Cron will be the one. <laughs> it's like no doubt, no brainer. So you would not bring on a wider selection of candidates. Everyone you brought was just a company to Victor Cron. <laughs> but we see Professor Snape. Actually said softly, "It's no one's fault but Potter's."、Uh, don't go blaming Dumbledore for Potter's determination to break rules. He has been crossing lines ever since he arrived here. And finally, we get Dumbledore's reaction. So first, it's like, "Shut up, Severus." No, he didn't actually say that. He said, "Thank you, Severus." And then to Harry, he said, he asked calmly, "Did you put your name into the goblet of fire, Harry?" This part was greatly discussed or debated among the movie version and the book version, right? Because Professor Dumbledore in the movie is quite jumpy, but this one's in the movie. Dumbledore is always calm. Just ask, did you do it, Harry? It's like always ask the student first, just as a good old headmaster should do. But the second question made me really dumbfounded. It's like, did you ask an older student to put it into the goblet of fire for you? It's like that's the solution. You can ask. An older student to put your name into the goblet. Is that it? I mean, all the time they were thinking about age and potions, all the trick, magical tricks. But all they need to do was ask someone older, someone's seventeen years old or beyond, to put your name into the goblet. Is that as simple as that? Of a solution. I'll skip the part where they just arguing and blaming back and forth, and also Kakov was suggesting resubmitting the names and just a bunch of suggestions. And then we see Moody walked in, or should we say, Buddy Crouch Junior. He's kind of here to act like I did this, so I'm coming to enjoy everyone's face. <laughs> But of course, he didn't say that, didn't confess in here. He just walked in, and that just gave Kukov some threat. No matter what's his purpose, I kind of with him on this one because he said, "You can't see the point, can you? It's so very simple." Someone put Potter's name in that goblet, knowing he'd have to compete if it came out. If anyone's got reason to complain, it's Potter. But funny thing, I don't hear him saying a word. Maybe someone's hoping Potter is going to die for it. An extremely tense silence followed these words. Then only the bag of noodle, noodle bag man was saying, "Moody, old man, what a thing to say!" Like, don't scare the children, <laughs> because they also know that Madame Moody is kind of paranoid, always thinking about death. Seeing everyone as Death Eaters, then Moody was kind of explaining like, "I'm not being paranoid. I'm not fear assassination for Harry. Think about it. Don't you see? It was a skilled witch or wizard who put the boy's name in that goblet because they hoodwinked a very powerful magical object. It would have needed an exceptionally strong, confounded charm to to bamboozle that goblet into forgetting that only three schools compete in the tournament. I'm guessing they submitted Potter's name under a fourth school to make sure he was the only one in his category. Oh, I wouldn't want to hear that if I were Harry. It's like. I thought I was the best in Hogwarts, and now you're like I'm the only one in that school. So I was picked because I was the only one. Kakov was saying saying this coldly, like, "Oh, you seem to have given this a great deal of thoughts." Finally, as Kakov and Moody start to arguing a little bit, and Dumbledore just enough.、Uh, how this situation arose, we do not know. It seems to me, however. That we have no choice but to accept it. Both Cedric and Harry have been chosen to compete in the tournament. This, therefore, they will do. With any objection, my dear Madame Maxine, like you, if you have an alternative, I would be delighted to hear it. 
Like, don't raise a question when you don't have a solution. <laughs> I like that. And then they just have to give the first task, the first instruction. The first task is designed to test your daring. Here, finally, we get a little description of Mr. Crouch. Mr. Crouch, Harry thought he looked ill. There, they were recognized and thin, papery look about his wrinkled skin that has not been there the last time they saw each other. So we're not going to be telling you what it is. Courage in the face of the unknown is an important quality in the wizards. Very important. The first task will take place on November the twenty-fourth in front of the other students and the panel of judges. The champions are not permitted to ask for or accept help of any kind from the teachers to complete the tasks in the tournament. The champions will face the first challenge armed only with their wands. They will receive information about the second task when the first is over. Owing to the demanding and time-consuming nature of the tournament, the champions are accepted from end-of-year tests. When Mr. Crouch finished, he just turned to look at Dumbledore. It's like, I think that's all, is it? And I think so, said Dumbledore back to him. It's like, are you sure you wouldn't like to stay at Hogwarts tonight, buddy? No, Dumbledore, I must get back to the ministry, said Mr. Crouch. It is a very busy, very difficult time at the moment. And the rest is kind of like Dumbledore and Nudabagman trying to ask him to, ask him to stay for a drink. And this invitation extended to Professor Kukov and Madame Maxine. Dumbledore is like a nightcap, but Madame Maxine has already took uh, Fleer's shoulders and gone. <laughs> it's like, who wants to drink with you lot? As for Kukov, he beckoned to Krum and they too exited through in silence. And then to Harry and Cedric, Dumbledore said, I suggest you go up to bed. <laughs> it's like, no drinks? I like how quickly he changed his moods, just smiling at both of them. It's like, I'm sure Gryffindor and Hufflepuff are waiting to celebrate with you. And it would be a shame to kind of spoil the celebrating party. And so for, feel free to make a mess and noise. And in an empty entrance hall, Cedric and Harry kind of have a little conversation, just like, oh, we're competing with each other again. And tell me, Harry, how did you get your name in? Like, there's no teacher now. Just Tell me the dirts. Spill the beans. Of course, Harry just said, I didn't, I didn't put it in. I was telling the truth. And Cedric just like, ah, oh, okay, well, see you then. He, uh, Harry thought he for sure didn't believe him. And he was like, was anyone except Ron and Hermione going to believe him? Or would they all think he'd put himself in for the tournament? Oh, you wish. Even Ron and Hermione are not probably going to doubt you. He was also slightly scared of get him killed, that Moody's words still ringing in his head even though it sounds like a trick or joke but he he was sure he was sure that somebody definitely wanted him dead i'm glad when harry walked in the gryffindor common room what's facing what he was facing was the whole of gryffindor house all of whom were screaming applauding and whistling i, I mean that was a relief and here we get nobody wanted to hear that he wasn't hungry he, he doesn't want the food nobody wanted to hear that he hadn't put his name in the goblet no one single no one single person seemed to have noticed that he wasn't at all in the mood to celebrate just like people cheering you up at these highlight moments in your life, they didn't really care about you. I definitely aren't <laughs> when, when all Harry wanted more than anything was to find Ron and Hermione, to find a bit of sanity, but neither of them seemed to be in the common room. And then he found Ron was lying on his bed already in the dormitory. He said to Harry like, hey, okay, so congratulations. Harry's like, what do you mean? Congratulations? And Ron was like, well, no one else got across the age line. Not even Fred and George. Why did you use the invisibility cloak? I think Harry started to feel cold, like cold with surprise. This reaction from Ron's is that you didn't even believe me. And Ron was like, oh, right. I thought 
you might have told me if it was a cloak. It would have covered both of us, wouldn't it? But you found another way, did you? And then Harry was like, I didn't do it. Then Ron was like, well, what would they do that for? Harry was like, I don't know, to kill me? Hearing this, Ron's eyebrows rose so high that they were in danger of disappearing into his hair. It's okay, you know, you can tell me the truth. He said, if you don't want everyone else to know, fine. But I don't know why you're bothering to lie. You didn't get into trouble for it, did you? That friend of the fat ladies, that Violet, she's already told us all. Dumbledore's letting you enter. A thousand galleons, prize money, eh? And you don't have to do end-of-year tests either. Oh, now Harry sees. It's like, okay, all you cared about or heard was all the rewards I can get. So you think that's why I did it, and you don't even believe me. I thought you can believe me in every condition you would unconditionally support me and believe me Ron. why did you do that <sighs> so they fought a little bit Ron was yeah uh, you want to get to bed harry i expect you will need to be up early tomorrow for a photo call or something and he wrenched the hangings shut around his four posters leaving harry standing there oh by the door staring at the dark red velvet curtains like my boyfriend Ron doesn't even believe me. One of the few people I had been sure would have believed me doesn't believe me. Uh. <laughs> Next, chapter 18, The Weighing of the Wands. This chapter opens with Harry went for a walk with Hermione. This really just goes to see among peers, girls does grow more mature than boys. Can I say that? Is that the right sentence to say? Right claim. So Hermione does believe in Harry and also while walking, they just can chat everything out. This was also very important for Harry, I think, as in to be a better person because Hermione was trying to make Harry see that Ron is just jealous, nothing else. And we will see through the conversation, she's trying to encourage Harry to see and understand the ways in which his fame and power is sometimes functioning and how that make other people feel. Because it's not the old times, like just young kids running around. So what, he's Harry Potter, but I'm friends with him. But now it's kind of different now. And Hermione was trying to make Harry see that. And though it's debatable, like this is not really a solution to the situation where they are fighting. Like it's not the fix. It's not the best fix in this situation. I, I guess what I'm saying is, but this does lead Harry to in the future and you know, make decisions that can include wrong as well. Well, sometimes it's not his choice to alienate the wrong, but it doesn't matter. It will still make Ron feel that way. So that will just help Harry to consider more, to be more thoughtful. And, and that will help Ron feel more successful in his own way in the future. Like, be a better friend. I kind of don't see why Harry feels so miserable. Like, no one would understand this misery of his. I really like how Hermione approaches him. It's like, hello, he's, she said, holding up a stack of toast, which she was carrying in a napkin. I brought you this one. Want to go for a walk? Good idea, said Harry gratefully. They went downstairs, crossed the entrance hall quickly without looking in that great hall. I was like, you don't have to do that. What are you trying to avoid? You know... Anyway, they just, uh, they were striding across the lawn towards the lake where the Durmstrong ship was moored, reflected blackly in the water. It was a chilly morning and they kept moving, mooching their toast as Harry told Hermione exactly what had happened the night before. Hermione just accepted his story without questioning. Well, of course, I knew you hadn't entered yourself. The look on your face when Dumbledore read out your name. 
But the question is, who did put it in? Because Moody's right, Harry. I don't think any student could have done it. They'd never be able to fold the goblets or get over Dumbledore's age line. From last book, book two, I've already told you, Hermione has such a great ability to go all Sherlock Holmes. She could get everything just by the look on Harry's face. So Harry's still worried about Ron, and Hermione just, yeah, I see him. He was at breakfast, and then to Harry, just like, oh, Harry, isn't it obvious? It doesn't concern him. Like he still thinks you enter yourself or not. He's jealous. Harry didn't get it. Like jealous of what? He wants to make a prat of himself in front of the whole school, does he? Harry, listen to good old Hermione here. Listen, look. It's always you who gets all the attention. You know it is. I know it's not your fault. I know you don't ask for it. But well, you know, Ron's got all those brothers to compete against at home, and you are his best friend, and you are really famous. He's always shunted to one side whenever people sees you, and he puts up with it. You know, he never mentions it. But I suppose this is just one time too many. Harry responds to this bitterly, like, "Great." Really great. Tell him from me. I will swap any time he wants. But Hermione said this. I'm not telling him anything. Okay, tell him yourself. It's the only way to sort this out. And Harry said, I'm not running around after him, trying to make him grow up. Maybe he will believe me. I'm not enjoying myself once I've got my neck broken or something. That's not funny," said Hermione quietly. "That's not funny at all." She looked extremely anxious. Harry, I've been thinking. You know what we've got to do, don't you? Straight away, the moment we get back to the castle. And Harry was thinking about Ron still, but Hermione like, "Right, you serious? You got to tell him what's happened. He asked you to keep himself posted on everything that's going on at Hogwarts. It's almost like he expected something like this to happen. I brought some parchment and a crow out with me. Oh my lord, she's so thoughtful. But Harry wouldn't do it. He was like, Sirius Black will probably come bursting right into the castle if I tell him someone's entered me for the tournament." And Hermione is like, well, it's not going to be kept quiet. This tournament's famous, and you are famous. I will really be surprised if there isn't anything the Daily Prophet about your competing. You're already in half the books about you know who, you know. And Sirius would rather hear it from you. I know he would. A round of applause, please. A round of applause for Hermione. Really good argument. Okay, okay, I'll write to him. Finally, Harry said, throwing his last piece of toast into the lake. What are you doing? Oh wait, wait a minute! They both stood there, watched it floating there for a moment before a large tentacle rose out of the water and scooped it. And then they just returned to the castle. And they are talking about whose owl am I going to use? They didn't even come on. At least some shocker expression. Are they just that used to the monsters in the lake now? Anyway, they went up to the owlery. Hermione was looking at all the different owls while Harry sat down against the wall and wrote his letter. Dear Sirius, you told me to keep you posted on what's happening at Hogwarts, so here goes. I don't know if you've heard, but the Triwizard Tournament's happening this year, and on Saturday night, I got picked as the fourth champion. I don't know who put my name in the goblet of fire because I didn't. The other Hogwarts champion, Cedric Diggory from Hufflepuff. That's all he can come up with. You are okay, and Buckbeak Harry. He meant to say something about that large weight of anxiety that seemed to have settled inside his chest. I'm glad he didn't say his stomach, but he couldn't know how to write this down, write this into words. So he just like hope everything's okay. Hope you all can, Buckbeak. When he finished. Hadwig flew over, just like came fluttering down onto Harry's shoulder and held out her leg. 
Once Harry told her that I can't use you this time, Hedwig just gave a very loud hoot and took off so suddenly that her talons cut into his shoulder. And she kept her back to Harry all this time. He was he was tying his letter to the leg of a large bomb owl. I guess Harry is more saying this angrily to himself rather than anyone else, so he just kind of slashed out. First wrong, then you. This isn't my fault. To make the matter even worse, now we get cold shoulders from Hufflepuffs. Usually, the Hufflepuffs who are on excellent terms with the Gryffindors, they turned remarkably cold towards the whole lot of, of Gryffindors. Now, if you're like, "Wow, they matter, Harry!" Now, it was plainly that Hufflepuffs felt that Harry has stolen their champion's glory. It's like they just got Cedric and、uh, being selected as a champion of all four houses. Hufflepuffs. Got one champion, and now Harry has to jump out. Say this feeling of Harry being stealing their glory only exacerbated, perhaps by the fact that Hufflepuff House very rarely got any glory, and that Cedric was one of the few who had ever given them any. It's like they've never had anything. Just let them have this one. But no, Harry has to be there. After the Halloween holiday, a little bit, and Harry has to go back. Everything was resumed back to normal. So Harry has to go to classes with Slytherins and with Hufflepuffs in herbology and the care of magical creatures. So there is no escape. You have to, Harry has to face them. So during the herbology with Hufflepuff, the students usually get on pretty well with Harry. Neither laugh at him or. Just ignore him, and Ron also wasn't talking to Harry either. Hermione sat between them, making very forced conversations, and then care of magical creatures meant meeting the Slytherins, of course, like predictably. Malfoy arrived and just sneered firmly in place, like, "Ah, look, boys, it's the champion. Got your autograph books." Better get a signature now, because I doubt he's going to be around much longer. As we know, half the Triwizard champions have died. How long do you reckon you're going to? How long do you reckon you're going to last? Ten minutes into the first task, in my bet. Crab and Goyo, of course, just laughed enthusiastically, but Malfoy had to had to stop there because Hagrid emerged. And the next is just some description about again that blasted the blast and the screws. I'm not interested in this part, guys. Let's just skip. Anyway, this part is basically Hagrid's lesson plan: is taking the screws for walks, and that distracts Malfoy, and you know from taunting Harry. And Harry already have too much on his plate. But as they talk, Hagrid tells Harry he believes that Harry didn't put his own name in, but he seems as worried as well about Harry's prospects in this tournament. I guess Harry right now already get used to people worry about his life and death that sort of situation. But coming from Hagrid. An adult that he trusts, the the fear for his fate in the tournament just suggested, what's what's to come or what's coming will be far above what Harry is capable of doing normally, and this really just reinforces how young and immature Harry is, and situates、uh, him in a very awkward position. As we can see, I as I said before, I understand what J.K. Rowling is doing here, just to bring about Harry's coming of age. Harry's next few days are horrendous, especially since Ron continues to ignore him. It's like losing your best friend, your boyfriend. <laughs> Harry understands why the Hufflepuffs hate him, especially since Cedric looks so much more like the champion. As I said before, that kind of feeling of I don't know if this is the right place to put that imposter syndrome. That you just feel so inferior to your seniors, and that feeling is pretty awful. But he was like he did a little mental kind of analysis with everyone. Like, like for Hufflepuff's attitudes, 
he could totally understand. <laughs> it's like, I get it why you guys hate me. He also expected nothing less than vicious insults from the Slytherins, and he was highly unpopular there anyway. But what disappointed him was Ravenclaw. <laughs> he had hoped that Ravenclaw might have found it in their hearts to support him as much as Cedric. However, most Ravenclaws seemed to think that he had been desperate to earn himself a bit more fame. So there is no support there as well. And eventually, I don't know if he felt this way or is it really a fact, but it was stated here that there was the fact that Cedric looked the part of the champion so much more than he did exceptionally handsome with his straight nose dark hair and gray eyes it was hard to say who was receiving more admiration these days cedric or victor chrome harry actually saw the same six-year girls who had been so keen to get chrome's autograph begging cedric to sign their school bags one lunchtime so it's just like a lot of i wouldn't say jealousy but definitely feel inferior to the other two big boys and Harry gets extra homework on summoning charms in Professor Flitwick's class, the charm class. And when he and Hermione arrive in dungeons for potions, they see that every Slytherin student is wearing a badge that reads Support Cedric Degree, real Hogwarts champion. So Hermione's badges idea was borrowed here, I guess. And those badges, they do move. Just like when tapped, the badge changes to read I was almost going to say, if they want to wear something like support Cedric, that's fine. You know, you can support each other. That's okay. We are, let's focusing on the tournament instead of how people's reaction is, right? But if when tapped, the bad changes to Potter stinks, that's a bit insulting. And what's worse was Ron. Ron doesn't even stand up for Harry as the Slytherins laughed. Hermione did though, and because she did, a Malfoy insults her and Harry just snapped. These parts are really just for you, Harry and the Hermione. What, what, do they have a name? Harry and Hermione stands. Do you have a name? I might need to Google this. Hermione? Malfoy was like, one, one, Granger? I've got loads, but don't touch my hand now. I've just washed it. You see, don't want the mud blood sliming it up. Oh, I would punch him as well. Just do it, Harry. <laughs> so some of the anger Harry had been feeling for days and days seemed to burst through a dam in his chest. He had reached for his wand before he'd thought what he was doing. People all around them scrambled out of the way, backing down the corridor. Harry, Hermione said warningly. Go on then, Potter. Moody's not here to look after you now. Do it, if you've got guts. Because Malfoy challenged him, I guess. Or maybe Harry just didn't care anymore. They just both acted. They both shoot some sort of curse. I have no idea what those means at each other, but it ricocheted and hit Goyle and Hermione. Hermione's front teeth start growing rapidly. Like Harry's head Goyo in the face and Malfoy had Hermione. Hermione! Ron had hurried forwards to see what was wrong with her. Finally, some reaction. And Harry turned and saw Ron dragging Hermione's hand away from her face. And her teeth is looking more and more like a beaver's. And at this moment, the bitch Snape arrived. Well, we all know whose side he's going to be on. And uh, he just insists sending Goyo to the hospital wing. But just pretend not seeing any difference with Hermione's teeth. Hermione just let out a whipper and her eyes filled with tears. She turned on her heels and ran, ran all the way up the corridor and out of sight. It was lucky perhaps that both Harry and Ron started shouting at Snape at the same time. <laughs> I like this part of writing. It's like Snape is probably gonna go wild if he actually heard what they were calling him. But because they are shouting at the same time and the voice echoed so much in the stone corridor, so for in a 
confused thing. It was impossible for him to hear exactly what's that, but he got the gist. However, let's see. 50 points from Gryffindor and the detention each for Potter and Weasley. Now get inside or it will be a week's worth of detentions. More disembowels the toads. Oh, Harry's rage. Harry's ears were, were ringing, and the injustice of it made him want to curse Snape into a thousand slimy pieces. He passed Snape, walked with Ron to the back of the dungeon, and slammed his back down onto the table. Ron was shaking with anger, too. For a moment, it feels as though everything was back to normal between them, but then Ron turned and sat down with Dean and Simus instead, leaving Harry alone at his table. On the other side of the dungeon, Malfoy turned his back on Snape and pressed his badge, smirking. Keep on tapping it, I guess. You just keep shouting or changing to Potter stinks. Harry was so angry just sitting there, sat there staring at Snape as the lesson began. And he has to sit there for the lesson, just picturing horrific things happening to him. If only he knew how to do that. Crush ate curse. He would have Snape flapped on his back like the spider. Jerking, twinching, doesn't matter. This does feel like sitting in a living hell. Harry is livid, especially when Snape insinuates that he's going to poison Harry today to test his antidote. Thank goodness Colin Creevy arrives to fetch Harry for Bagman. Like Mr. Bagman said, all the champions has to gather for a photograph. And Snape just like, very well, very well. Pot, leave your things here. I want you back down here later to test your antidote. I'm going to poison you <laughs> later. And Colin leads Harry to a classroom where there's an area set up for photos. Bagman leaps at the side of Harry and explains that it's time to weigh the champions once to test that they are in good condition. I really wish Harry just relaxed, you know, if everybody thought he was having a great time, then just let everything go and have a great time whatsoever, you know. Anyway, we see the other three champions. Victor Crumb was standing moodily in the corner and not talking to anyone. Cedric and Fleer was in conversation, they were chatting, and Fleer looked a good deal happier. But she kept throwing back her head so that her long silvery hair caught the lights. Oh, why do you have to paint her like that? Anyway, we finally get to meet Rita Skeeter. The facial description is as following. You can compare it to the Rita in the movies. Her hair was set in elaborate and curiously rigid curls that contrasted oddly with her heavy-jawed face. She wore jewel uh, spectacles, the thick fingers clenching her crocodile skin handbag ended in two inches nails. And the nails painted crimson. And the famous interview saying, She's like, I wonder if I could have a little word with Harry before we start. The youngest champion, you know, to add a bit of color. Bagman couldn't ask for more. Is there certainly? Well, that is, if Harry has no objection, uh, Harry didn't agree or object. He was like, absolutely have no idea what to do, I guess. But we can see him later on grow much more firmly himself. He would stand up. He would be more assertive in the future. So Rita Skitter lead him to a broom cupboard where he stared at her. This everything just sounds so wrong. Why would they do that? And what Rita said, Rita Skitter said again, Come along, dear. That's right. Lovely. Everything just sounds borderline creepy here. As they started chatting, quote unquote, Rita definitely needs the pen and papers, right? Here is just a row of parchment and a long acid green crow. And speaking of pay attention to the details, a crate of Mrs. Scar's all-purpose magical mess. Why is it so hard to read? Magical mess. Magical mess remover. I think JK Rowling does this on purpose. It's like, what's two vowels putting together that is really hard to pronounce? Magical mess. 
Magical Mask, Magical Mask Remover, Mrs. Scores or Peppa's Magical Mask Remover. She's like some sort of tongue twister. Anyway, and she even, I mean, Rita Skeeter even did some tests. It's like testing. My name is Rita Skeeter, Daily Prophet reporter. So we can see as the moment Rita Skeeter had spoken, the grain quote has started to scribble. But instead of writing down the exact sentence we had just spoken, the grain quote actually writes down attractive blonde Rita Skeeter, 43. Whose savage quote had punctured many inflated reputations. That beats ChatGPT like twenty years advance in advance. Okay, the next was the interview saying I will pick some interesting moments. If not, we just skip. Okay, we might as well just skip. Not very interesting. Please refer to the movies. And so we ended on tears feel those startlingly green eyes as our conversation turns to the parents he can barely remember. I have not got tears in my eyes," said Harry loudly. Before Rita Skeeter could say a word, the door of the broom cupboard was pulled open, and it was Dumbledore. And Harry noticed her crow and the parchment had suddenly vanished from the box of magical mess remover. That's the kind of presence you want, Harry. That's the kind of dominating presence you want to grow. And Rita was asking Dumbledore, "I hope you saw my piece over some summer about International Confederation of Wizards Conference. Enchantingly nasty. I particularly enjoy your description as an obsolete dingbat. What's a dingbat? I mean, I can guess, but is this something J.K. Rowling made up or? Oh, checked. It's an actual word." Dingbat, a informal noun, especially used among North American and Australia and New Zealand, a stupid or eccentric person. So of course, this was Dumbledore's react a re respond to Rita's question. And Rita Skeeter didn't even look remotely abashed. I was just making the point that some of your ideas are a little old-fashioned, Dumbledore. With a bow and a smile, Dumbledore said, "I will be delighted to hear the reasoning behind the rudeness, Rita. But I'm afraid we will have to discuss the matter later. The weighing of the wands is about to start, and it cannot take place if one of our champions is hidden in the broom cupboard." Perfect savage response. Bravo, Dumbledore. So as Dumbledore rescued Harry from Rita Skeeter, Harry takes a seat next to Cedric. Then the wand maker, you know, remember in Diagon Alley, they all bought the wand from that Mr. Ollivander. Mr. Ollivander checks everyone's wand in this order: first Fleers, and then Crumbs, and Cedric's, and then Harry's. All are in working order. And Harry is glad that Mr. Ollivander doesn't mention the fact that Harry's wand shares a corn with Voldemort's. And then it's photo time. The following photo takes a long time to get right, and when the adults finally release Harry, it's dinner time. So I will skip. This is really also a moment of like previously on Harry Potter. It's like Harry could remember too. He could remember it as though it had happened yesterday, four summers ago, on his eleventh birthday. He had entered Mr. Ollivander's shop with Hagrid to buy a wand. So Harry had to eat alone.、Oh. You really can feel some people really enjoy the fame and all the attention, but Harry is definitely not one of them. This is torture for him. He's looking for his friends at dinner. It's like Hermione wasn't there, and he supposed she's still in the hospital wing. He just eat alone, return to Gryffindor Tower, thinking of all the extra work he has to do, the homework, and then in the dormitory he came across Ron. Ron told him two things: one is you've got an owl, so a letter from Sirius Black, and two is they've got to do their detentions tomorrow night, Snape's dungeon. Finished. He walked straight out of the room, not looking back. For a moment, Harry considered going after him. He wasn't sure whether he wanted to talk to him or hit him. Both seemed quite appealing, but he definitely wants to check the letter first. So the letter reads: 
Harry, I can't say everything I would like to in a letter. It's too risky in case the owl is intercepted. We need to talk face to face. Can you ensure that you are alone by the fire in Gryffindor Tower at one o'clock in the morning on the twenty-second November? I know better than anyone that you can't look after yourself. And while you are around Dumbledore and Moody, I don't think anyone will be able to hurt you. However, someone seems to be having a good try. Entering you in that tournament would have been very risky, especially right under Dumbledore's nose. Be on the watch, Harry. I still want to hear about everything on Yuyu. Let me know about the twenty-second November as quickly as you can. Serious. Next, Chapter Nineteen: The Hungarian Horntail. Okay, even though this chapter and the following chapters are pretty much exactly the same as in the movies, because the whole thing is the Goblet of Fire is about the tournament, and so I might as well just skip everything I was thinking. And I'm not personally not a big fan of those all those magical elements. I know that's the whole point. You're reading Harry Potter, expecting to see all those magical elements, dragons and spells and explosions, <laughs> and all that. I think this time around, I'm more drawn to the thing. The humane, the growing up, all the relationships, all these other elements of the book. So I'm not very interested in all those、uh, plots. Why is in this book, book four? But I must still say. There is not one single line or single sentence or paragraph I want to take out. I could read it again. I mean,、I'm, I could read all of it to you. Everything is so engaging and funny to read, and it showed up every character's personality and development, and it just. Kudos to J.K. Rowling, really. So I will still walk you through the line, just refresh your memory a little bit, and pick some funny lines here and there to read it to you. So it starts with Harry absolutely looks forward to seeing Sirius Black. Also, admittedly, he didn't see how Sirius was going to make him feel any better about having to perform an unknown piece of difficult and dangerous magic in front of hundreds of people. But just thinking about the mere sight of a friendly face, a fatherly face, maybe just that could be something at the moment. So he wrote back saying he would be beside the common room fire at times Sirius has suggested, and he and Hermione spent a long time going. Over plans for forcing any stranglers out of the common room on the night in question. If the worst came to the worst, they were going to drop a bag of dung bumps, but they hoped they wouldn't have to resort to that. Felch would skin them alive. See, now the writing goes to skin them alive. Disembowel.、Uh, Next, we get to see life became even worse for Harry within the confines of the castle because Rita Skeeter's. A piece of、uh, publication. It's not much of a report on the tournament, but a highly colored life story of Harry. Much of the front page had been given over to a picture of Harry, had been all about Harry. The names of the Bobatons and Durmstrang champions, misspelled, had been squashed into the last line of the article, and Cedric hadn't even been mentioned at all. I would choose some lines from the article, but I think if you've watched the movie, you get the gist. And I would, I would say that's a piece of article that's highly polished. Yeah, but good for Harry. Still, how does that make Harry feel? The article had made Harry feel a sick, burning feeling of shame. So that's what I'm talking about. Harry doesn't like it. Harry doesn't enjoy the. Later, we will even read it more in depth. 
how Harry felt about attention and fame. He would trade everything in the world for someone to take this away from him. The article reads something like: Harry has at last found love at Hogwarts. His close friend Colin Creevy says that Harry is really seen out of the company of one Hermione Granger, a stunningly pretty Muggle-born girl who, like Harry, is one of the top students in the school. <laughs> not wrong, not wrong. So of course, all the students was making fun of him. Like, since when you became a top student? Or somebody making fun of Hermione? Like, since when you're stunningly pretty? Oh, this one, this comment was from Slytherin Pansy Parkinson. I know there's a lot of fan of hers out there. But to all of this, though, Hermione's reaction was always ignore it, just ignore it, Harry. And always said in a dignified voice. I really love how Hermione has grown in this book. Next, we see Harry and Ron hasn't made up yet. Harry had half hoped they would make things up during the two hours they were forced to pickle, <laughs> to pickle rats' brains in Snape's detention, Snape's dungeon. Oh my lord! Now we see, Felch, Mr. Felch, has been skinned them alive. And scare the first years into hysterics, and then there's disembowel the toads, and now we have pickled rat's brain. Oh my god! So between Ron, Harry, Hermione was furious with them. Of course, he went from one to the other, trying to force them to talk to each other, but they just wouldn't make things up. And Hermione just said, "You miss him, and I know he misses you." Harry just like miss him. I don't miss him, and that was a dumb right lie. I miss you. Miss your boyfriend. Harry just admitted. <laughs> so Harry liked Hermione very much, but she just wasn't the same as Ron. There was much less laughter and a lot of more hanging around in the library when Hermione was your best friend. Harry still hadn't mastered summoning charms, and he seemed to have developed something of a blog about them. And Hermione insisted that learning the theory would help. They consequently spent a lot of time poring over books during their lunch times. And Victor Crum was in the library an awful lot too. I forgot about this part. Is he there because he liked Hermione? He he had a crush on Hermione or something. I don't remember. But here Hermione was commenting that he's not even that good looking. They only like him because he's famous. And here is a quote of truth. It is a strange thing, but when you are dreading something, that would give anything to slow down time. It has a disobliging habit of speeding up. Usually we say、uh, time flies when you're having fun, but sometimes when you when you want time to slow down, it speeds up. Days until the first task seemed to slip by, as though someone had fixed the clock to work at double speed. And next we get them visiting the village of Hogsmeade before the first task. And Harry do need this trip, but he wanted to put on his invisibility cloak. He felt wonderfully free under the cloak. I think so. That's the most useful object right now. And he watched other students walking past them as they entered the village. Most of them spotting support Cedric, Cedric degree badges and. A little funny bit from Hermione. Hermione was like, "People keep looking at me now. They think I'm talking to myself." I think in the movie it was like, "People keep looking at me funny now." Anyway, I like how they really need chocolates, so they came out of Honey Duke's sweet shops, eating large Cranfield chocolates. And when Hermione said that, Harry just like, "Then don't move your lips so much." Then <laughs> can you imagine that Hermione would be speak like,、oh, "Can you hear me? Come on, please take, come on, please take off your cloak for a bit." No one's going to bother you here. But they just saw Rita Skeeter and her photographer friend just emerged from the Three Broomsticks pub. Oh, she's staying. She's staying in the village. I bet she's coming to watch the first task. And then Hermione told Harry, "She's gone. Why don't we go and have a butterbeer in the Three Broomsticks? It's a bit cold, isn't it? We don't have to talk to Ron. She can read his mind now." Oh,、so、in the Three Broomsticks, 
it was packed, packed with all sorts of weirdos. And it was very hard to move through crowds in the invisible cloak. Harry edged slowly towards a spare table in a corner where Hermione went to buy drinks. It should be the other way around, I thought. Anyway, and on his way through the pub, Harry spotted Ron, who was sitting with Fred, George and Lee Jordan, resisting the urge to give Ron a good hard poke in the back of the head. He finally reached the table and sat down at it. Hermione joined him a moment later and slapped him a bottle of beer under his cloak. How do you do that? It's like lift the cloak a little bit and just slip you the bottle of beer. And she said, I've I brought something to do. Otherwise, I'll look like such an idiot sitting here drinking on my own. Oh, well, this is the part I really want to read it to you. And she pulled out a notebook in which she had been keeping a record of spew members. Harry saw his and Ron's name at top of the very short list. It seemed a very long time ago that they had sat making up those predictions together. You know, the fake predictions for divination. And Hermione had turned up and appointed them secretary and treasurers. Yeah, Harry, you missed Ron. Hermione was like, maybe I should try and get some of the villagers involved in speed. Harry's like, oh yeah, right. Hermione, when are you going to give up on this spew stuff? I can't believe Harry is saying this. Like, you saw Dobby, and you involved with Dobby so much, and how could you not support Hermione on this? At least find out if there are more elves like Dobby. You know, not every... Yes, not every elf, house elf, wants to be saved, but there's got to be someone like Dobby. So anyway... Hermione responded, when house elves have decent witches and working conditions, I will stop. I will give up on this stuff. As Hermione setting in thoughtful silence, Harry started to think as well. He's like, what wouldn't he have given to be one of those people? Sitting around laughing and talking with nothing to worry about but homework. Even imagined how it would have felt to be here if his name hadn't come out of the goblet of fire. He thought he wouldn't be wearing this invisibility cloak for one thing. Wrong would be setting with him. The three of them would probably be happily imagining what deadly dangerous task the school champions would be facing on Tuesday. He'd have been really looking forward to it, watching them do whatever, even cheering on Cedric with everyone else, safe in the seat at the back of the stands. I think the last line just sums it all. All Harry wanted was safe in a seat at the back of the stands. When you really just want to be a spectator in the audience seats, life will put you up front, force you to join in the tournament. Just as I said before, he started to wonder how the other champions were feeling. And we can see how inferior he was feeling right now because every time he had seen Cedric, he had been surrounded by admirers and looking nervous but excited, at least. I really think Harry should just enjoy it. It's What's done is done. And the other villago, Fleur de Lucu, I really hate pronouncing this name, by the way. Just whenever Harry sees her in the corridors, she looked exactly as she always did. Just like unfaced, haughty and unruffled. Just like arrogantly superior and just have that air of aloofness. And Victor Krum just sat in the library, poring over books. Only the thought of Sirius, that tight tense knot in his chest, seemed to ease slightly. Sirius Black was his cure right now for the panic attacks. Then Hermione points out Hagrid, which was this in the movies? I'm not, I can't remember exactly, but he was with Moody, just like talking to Moody. As the two of them get up to leave, they make their way to Harry and Hermione's table, and Moody just revealed he could see through invisibility cloak. Of course, with that magical eye, not the normal eye. Hagrid was talking to Harry as well, but 
it doesn't mean Hagrid can see him. He just look in the direction where Moody's eye is. So he just quietly asks Harry to meet him at midnight and just wear the invisibility cloak and meet him up at midnight. Because Hagrid never asked Harry to meet him at midnight, not even at night, so he reckoned this is urgent. Even though it could possibly make him late for Sirius Black's appointment, he decides to meet him. And the next was Harry sneaks out of the common room under his invisibility cloak at half past eleven, and Hagrid seems excited as he greets Harry and leads him to the Bobatons' carriage. Madame Maxine steps out, takes Hagrid's arm, and speaks as though this is a surprise for her too. Harry follows Hagrid and Maxine until they reach a clearing filled with four massive and angry dragons. Thirty wizards, including Charlie, try to control the creature, and finally they stun them. Remember, Harry was under the invisibility cloak, so Charlie couldn't see him. But Charlie greets Hagrid, names of the different dragon breeds, and says the dragons are nesting mothers. He asks about Harry though, and says that Mrs. Weasley is worried sick. It's just like every time one adult Harry really trusts worried is worried sick, that just really adds the Nervousness to Harry's heart or stomach. I know at this moment many of you will say it's a spoiler for it's not fair. It's not fair game because Harry was trying to show Harry what the task is when the teachers are definitely not supposed to say that. It's like it's a confidentiality thing, but it really doesn't make any difference because when on his way back Harry hits something and falls, he realizes he ran into Cuckoff. So everybody knows anyway. But we do feel so. I, what I mean is, don't scold off Hagrid. Don't blame Hagrid. I can feel Hagrid feels compelled to show both Harry and his lover, <laughs> Madame Maxine,、uh, this secret. It's like he wants to make sure Hagrid just feels like it's his duty. He is obliged to make sure that the champions or the people he cares about are prepared for this dangerous task. Technically, yeah, this is cheating, but it's also suggesting like Hagrid is still a good and caring person. He is not cheating to gain fame, to gain some benefits for himself, for for his own personal gain. I mean, it's not like selfish. He only does this because he's good, a good person and caring friend. So even though he's Breaking the rules, it does set him apart from all the other people, like Mr. Crouch. So, like I said, Harry heads and runs into Kakov, and he just races through the castle and arrives in Gryffindor Tower five minutes before one o'clock, one a.m. And when he looks at the fire, he sees Sirius Black's face in it. Remember the what's his name? Uh, Cedric Diggory's father. Uh, Amos. Amos Diggory's head. Amos Diggory's head in in the fire in the Weasley house. So here is kind of saying it's always foreshadowing something. J.K. Rowling always writes some plots that's、uh, foreshadowing. Speaking of, just take care of the details, right? I like how Sirius was very interested in the dragons. Like, okay, everybody's interested in the dragons, but he's more concerned about Kakov, like Professor Kakov. He's a Death Eater once and went to Azkaban around the same time that Sirius did, and he made a deal with the Ministry and now te and teaches the. Dark arts to his students. That's why they say、uh, Darmstrong. That's a school which teaches students dark arts. He also told Harry he reads Rita Skeeter's articles actually, but he doesn't believe it entirely, obviously. But he can read between the lines to get some 
this and that bits of information. He suspects that Ms. Kakov might have tried to keep Moody from getting to Hogwarts. Remember, they say the real Moody, though. The real Mad-Eye Moody had arrested half the Azkaban prisoners. So, serious suspicion of Kakov suggests that he believes that Death Eaters can never reform. Can never be reformed can never uh, redeem themselves. This really does feel like uh, a wise word from someone who sees evil as a sad state from which a person can't recover from. It's like this evil just you create and you can't recover from that. I think he really had been through quite a lot to have that kind of mentality or opinion regarding Death Eaters. Which is come true. I like how Moody and Sirius Black are trying to make things sound so horrible. It's like they are the ones who went to Azkaban or have been fighting with the real dark arts or the really have seen shites in the world. Just like Fred and George said, uh, Moody really know what he was teaching. Here is the same. Every time you're hearing some news from Sirius Black, you always have that feeling that this is not children's play anymore. This is not a safe ground for you kids anymore. Like dark darkness is coming, that kind of sense. That's why Sirius Black is my favorite. Yeah, I think I haven't changed my mind. This is my favorite character because I'm drawn to the darkness. Mm-hmm. And Harry obviously asks why though? Why would Kakov wants to kill him? Sirius like all the recent Death Eater activities and Beth Jorkins, the disappearance of Beth Jorkins. And he already deduced like who disappeared near where Voldemort was rumored to be. And uh, you know, the Riddle House, and the series also know about Beth Jorkin's character. She is that type of person who's really easy to be lured into a trap. And he suggests that whoever put Harry's name in the goblet likely wants to attack Harry and make it look like an accident. Very convenient. And he begins to tell Harry a spell to use on the dragons. That's why he is really helpful. And Harry hears footsteps. Sirius disappears moments before Ron comes down the staircase. The two argue and Harry threw a badge at him. I'll probably read you the last bit. But I just got to say, reading this whole chapter, you just feel... Harry is so at the verge of uh, having a humongous panic attack. It's everything is so stressful for him. I can see he did not handle fame very well. Uh, everything just mounts so high now. And be able to speak to his godfather, Sirius, who is so capable of dealing with the Dark Force, and also allow Harry to feel cared for. So this this was really a lifesaver, and really was a timely reign on the droughted corpse. That's why I was talking about J.K. Rowling really know how to write the tension and the release. Everything just balances so well. If you're reading this all along, and you just can feel it was never too over-the-toply intense. You know, that's not a good feeling as well. I don't deal with anxiety very well as well. Like I don't like to read. Yes, even by reading, I don't even like to read some something that very emotionally draining. So when you are feeling for Harry at some moments, and then J.K. Rowling will write something to release that kind of tension. I've got to point out that Ron here is being a little bitch this whole time. I mean, I get it. But still, I've always liked Ron so far. I always thought Ron was the... I would even go ahead and say my favorite among the trio. But right now, it's really like a little bitch. Just when Sirius was going to tell Harry that spell, it's like, you can do it alone. There is a way and a simple spell is all you need, just. But then Harry held up a hand to silence him, like someone's coming. And it's wrong. But Sirius already gone. 
and you can imagine how Harry must have felt. Like, what are you doing down here at this time of night? I just wondered where you and Ron broke off. Nothing. I'm going back to bed. I think Ron was probably really worried about Harry, like Adam in the middle of night, and he didn't. He woke up, didn't see Harry at the dormitory in bed. But Harry was angry right now. It's not like just thought you'd come nosy around, did you? Harry shouted. This is how stupid people are. Sometimes they knew. They just didn't care. They want to shout. They want to just react when they didn't even mean it. When Harry knew that Ron had no idea what he'd walked in on, knew he hadn't done it on purpose, but he just acted. Just he didn't care at this moment. He hated everything about Ron, right down to the several inches of bare ankle showing beneath his pajama trousers. All、oh, this sentence. He hated everything about Ron, right down to the several inches of bare ankle showing beneath his pajama trousers. Oh God, this gold. This is comedic gold. It's like Ron was so tall now. His pajama trousers is too short for him, and Ron said his face reddening with anger. Sorry about that. Should have realized you didn't want to be disturbed. I will let you get on with practicing for your next interview in peace. Oh, Harry just couldn't let this one go. <laughs> he seized one of the Potter really stinks badges off the table and chucked it as hard as he could across the room. It hit Ron on the forehead and bounced off. I have to pause because I was laughing so hard at this one. It's like Harry is acting like this bitter girlfriend, throwing things at Ron instead of fighting like boys do. And he says, "There you go, something for you to wear on Tuesday. You might even have a scar now if you're lucky. That's what you want, isn't it?" Bitter girlfriends were speaking this way in my mind's eye. And then Harry strode across the room towards the stairs. He half expected Ron to stop him. He would even have liked Ron to throw a punch at him. But Ron just stood there in his two small pajamas. And Harry, having stormed upstairs, lay awake in bed, fuming for a long time afterwards, and didn't hear him come up to bed. Oh no, he's not going to kill himself, eh? Next, chapter twenty. We get to twenty now. The first task.